two very violent things happened. The first violent thing is all the props spun up to full throttle, which is very weird. And then right after that was the impact. Just a very violent it just felt like we smashed into the into the flight deck like hard. And then and you're just you're just pinned into your seat and I mean they floor the motors in case they miss that cable they can still pull the plane off the deck not only was it unsettling to have that full throttle experience like when you know you're supposed to be landing but then to have that much that much force hit the cable and hit the deck like it it just feels like it feels like a wreck Welcome to Pictures Up, the podcast where we talk with film professionals and see what we can learn from their career path. Today, I'm talking with Chris Stiles of Pathfinder Films based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. You may remember that in one of the previous episodes, we spoke with Leif Ramsey, who's also with Pathfinder. Uh, We're going to catch up with Chris today specifically about a lot of camera stuff. Chris and I worked together on a uh, feature film a few years ago where we both worked in the camera department. And uh, Chris was also a a student of mine uh, once upon a time way back when. Today we're going to take kind of a deep dive into camera land, if you will, and also into hearing a little bit more about what it's like to shoot on an aircraft carrier. So there's a lot of good stuff in store. Stay tuned. Chris, thank you for taking time to sit down for a few minutes with me and talk about uh, careers in film. Can you tell me where you work and what you do there? Sure. I'm a commercial DP for a Chattanooga, Tennessee-based production company um, called Pathfinder Films. Um, I'm I'm a DP and uh, actually co-owner of the company. It's my main role. Uh, I'm on set would be DP, um, also colorist. Also, data manage. Also, spend money on gear. <laughs> I also right. am. I'm. I'm the designated boat driver for the company. So. Oh, there you go. Is that something that happens a lot? <laughs> it's something that needs to happen more. Um, we uh, we had a busy summer, so we didn't get as many lake days as we wanted. But um, yeah. Well, there's a there's a, I guess there's a cloud to every silver lining. The reason you didn't get many boat days is because you were pretty busy, right? Yeah, it's a blessing when when the production is stacked. You, um, that's the ever elusive goal is to try and smooth out the mountains and valleys and do a nice, consistent cruising speed on the freeway. It's sort of like interval training, though, right? That's true. Yeah. Like if you compare it to exercise, like you go out and just crush it for a while and then have a little little time to recuperate. Of course, when you're crushing it, then you have plenty of income. And then when you have time to take time off and spend money, then your income is less, I guess. But now I talked with Layflet yesterday, and it sounds like that within the organization, you guys really work to try to keep people's take-home income consistent, regardless of what is going on bigger with the company. Yeah, um thank thank goodness for the emergency fund. We have our our bank account looks crazy cuz we have a like a handful of accounts where money's getting split off for taxes or for you know, whatever, but um one of those is earmarked emergency fund where we we fill it up when times are good and if if um if we're trying to run through a valley, we'll we'll pull from it to maintain um, you know, maintain consistent salary. So that emergency fund's been, been clutch. And, and that's something I've, that we've learned recently is to embrace, like try your best to smooth things out, but then embrace the the mountains and valleys. And if you know, you're going to be in a valley for a bit, like, uh, don't sit around and whine about it. Like stay on top of your contacts and your circle of influence, but also like go on the lake, <laughs> right. take a lake day. You right. Know? So I interviewed you, a year and a half ago or something like that for another project that I was doing. And if I could summarize, I think it's fair to say that at that point you really felt like you were in the grind. You're a cinematographer among other things. I think at that time you were spending a lot of time kind of trying to hit the pavement to find work to do. That that was the impression that I got. It seems like you found a bunch of work to do. 
he must have caught me at a time where you know I felt like there I haven't been on set in a while I'm trying to you know talk to people and 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 you know increase our circle of influence or you know just uh uh and uh <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't think that ever goes away I, I have all, all my friends in the industry it's the same thing you can talk to them one day and they're pumped and the other day they're like man, there's no work. This sucks. You know, it's just like, <laughs> right. None of us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, you mentioned you didn't get a lot of lake days this last summer. What have you been up to, uh, with, with Pathfinder? What have you been shooting? Yeah, I didn't, I wasn't getting lake days cause I was getting ocean days. <laughs> um, <laughs> well we, that's, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. No, it was, it was a life changing job. Um, in short, we were awarded a, a bid to do a, a great deal of production for the United States Navy. Um, an ad agency reached out to us and had us bid on man, like a month and a half of product straight production the task was to tell as many stories about jobs in the Navy as possible. Their goal is for any any potential recruit to be able to see real stories from real sailors about what it's like um, to defend our country um, out in the middle of the ocean for six months or on base somewhere and doing a number of number of jobs. So, so let me see if I can set this up a little further. So yeah. if I understand correctly, you're working for an agency has a campaign going to show a lot of the individual crew positions within the Navy. And they wanted sort of a highly authentic, highly, you know, not glamorized, like gritty, down to earth, like this is what this person does in their job. Like your so your your job is to get out there and get the get the interviews, get the images, shoot the B-roll. And you're really trying to live up to a level of authenticity, but you're also trying to do it with a high level of production value where you want it to look great. Like they're still trying to recruit people, right? They yeah. wanted, <laughs> you know, so it, it, it needs to be like cool. It needs to look really good. Right. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy juxtaposition because it needs to be real. It needs to be gritty. They wanted honesty, you know? Yeah. So um, yeah, for me, as as the dp on this it's was a balance of um of just physically and logistically being able to move quick and not intimidate the crew not it just you know be able to get into the moment and get the moment but have it look good and and you know reference reference as many cinematic tools in my tool belt that still fits in the in the situation without being distracting let's nerd out for a minute like what's in your what's in your truck, so to speak? I know you didn't have a truck, but like uh, if you had a camera truck, what it, for the job? What would have been inside? First of all, the cameras um, that we that we used uh, that we just dis- decided on for this project was the um, Aria Alexa Mini okay. and the Aria Mira specs on that UHD uh, 4K, but ProRes 42HQ, not 4x4, 4x4XQ, or of course not Aria Raw. So we um. We needed resolution um, and uh, 14 plus stops of DR, but not. We also had to manage data rate. Okay, and DR being dynamic range, yeah. not data rate. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you were looking to preserve as much um, luminance information in the picture as possible, but you also didn't have just unlimited uh, card space. You needed to be able to to pack in the, you know, y- you were going to shoot a lot of materials, so you couldn't. You know, they say data, uh, digital is free compared to film and whatever, but it's actually not free if you're shooting enough uh, enough gigs of material. I think we, I think to date for our, this client, we've shot um, thirty four and a half terabytes. Oh wow! Thirty four and a half terabytes at that um, at those shooting specs. Uh, I think I said it equates to a little over a hundred hours of runtime, and okay. um, we can talk about this at some point uh if you remind me or something but i had to dit all this myself um so i not only have i not only had i never shot something on this scale before but i hadn't uh data managed something on the scale before so um coming up with uh systems for fast offloads physical redundancy client drives and getting them safely on and off an aircraft carrier or a 
securing my drives in a in a missile destroyer that is going through 20 degree pitch <laughs> off the coast of northern california like stuff you don't think uh, anyway so diting this thing was crazy um but yeah uh, back to the kit yeah it's uh, um alexa mini and amira um what did you use for DIT? Were you just using a laptop with shot put or something like that? Exactly, yeah. Um, 2015 MacBook Pro with shot put Pro. A lot of DITs out there are saying the 2015 MacBook Pro is like the best DIT rig because of all the uh, ports, you know, um, USB 3 and Thunderbolt 2, all that stuff. So that's... I believe it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that, uh, that was my rig. And then um, depending, if I was on base, I would um, do, um, during the day, I would do offloads to two terabyte SSDs, redundant. Everything was getting, as soon as it would come off the CFast card, it was going to at least two locations. Okay. Physicals. Um, I don't care what RAID, what RAID you have, if it's RAID 10, RAID 6, like physical redundancy is king um, because it doesn't matter how much, how many times your data is redundant in it's still in one physical in box one enclosure if that enclosure <laughs> yeah. goes overboard it yeah. doesn't matter how many times it's on in that enclosure yep and then if yeah. you have multiple physical drives it also doesn't matter if those physical drives remain in the same physical space on earth like you have to separate those physical uh, drives yeah. in, as soon as possible and they need to travel home separate all this anyway okay so <laughs> one, on. one of the you mentioned aircraft carrier and okay. You mentioned two cameras, um, but, you know, I've heard a little bit about the story and so on. You had, you were having to wear a ton of hats, you know, usually to do the kind of thing that you're trying to do, you'd have a, a support team, uh, you know, a, a camera department of people essentially there to maximize your efficiency, but you operated, did you have any assistant uh, sometimes, sometimes I would have an AC and, um, the, uh, not to pull focus just to like, we would, we would strip down to like having lenses and matte box and filters and batteries and one backpack. So my AC could physically bring just the essentials and nothing more. And then I would be mostly handheld. Um, so yeah, support camera support was mostly handheld. Um, a little bit of sticks on some long lens stuff. Um, we had a, um, DJI Ronin 2 gimbal for some, um, from, for some steady or specialty movement, um, Inspire X5S, uh, Inspire 2 with X5S camera. Just drone. For drone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, uh, lenses, the Canon CNE, um, Cine zooms 15 to 47 and 30 to 105 T2.8 and the Sigma Cine 18 to 35 and 50 to 100 T2. Um, most, most of my shooting was done. My A cam was the Alexa mini with the Sigmas and B cam was Amira with. So, the Canon so here's a question. One operator, <laughs> two cameras. I see that at weddings. I don't see it that much in film. <laughs> um, it's, <laughs> it's called having like one of the most legendary ACs in the world where you can just be like. Dude, I don't know what's happening right now, but we, somehow we need to capture these two things. Can you take this camera and go over there, and I'll get it over here? So like, you t- you turned your AC, you, you turned your assistant into an operator. Yeah, yeah. And that um that's something um that's just a benefit of, of having experience and a lot of days in the bag with us people that you trust, where you know you can do that, and you can also talk about it beforehand, like we. I'd worked out with my AC, like even a rate bump, you know, like, Hey man, if, if, you know, if we get, if we need to split unit, like we'll bump your rate, you know, we'll make it work, you know, cause it's stressful. Like when you, all of a sudden you have to turn on the creative side, you know? So that was something we worked out and who, who was that? Uh, Dylan Forsey. Okay. Yeah. Dylan okay. Forsey was, and, and you know, Dylan, you know, he can shoot. He's yes. just super good. So it's like, it's you, like, you needn't to be wondering like, I don't know, can this guy do this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When it's Dylan, it's like, it's yeah. yeah. Like some of the, some of the stuff he'd, he'd shoot, I'd look at it and be like, man, what am I doing? <laughs> like that looks sick. <laughs> but you know, it's, um, I remember thinking the same thing old on old fashioned at times, uh, with, uh, you know, with, with the B cam on that. 
yeah, you know what anyway. I've but you but I think it's that's interesting though like you get so taxed creatively yeah um that the people around you that maybe are doing more technical stuff they're not they're the creative side of their brain isn't just being drawn from like a like a high draw battery you know just pulling right. down tons of volts all the time or tons of amps they actually can have really good ideas and for me any of the below the line crew that I work with I want to make sure that there's that they feel like they can always communicate with me like I encourage communication upward if they have an idea if they have if they see a blind spot and then that can translate like into just really good shooting because you haven't you know you're fresh you know it's like right. we're good to go so that that was that was a big win for me that made that made the shoot work do you have any stories from the shoot i don't know how nda sensitive or any any of this thing is but it, can you tell us any interesting stories let's see well there's one like the first time i flew the drone off the um off the battleship we were on a 500 foot um, missile destroyer, um, the DDG 92 Momsen and the commanding officer CDR Brunel. She was just a firecracker of a lady. She was so cool. And, um, you know, just after a few days on sea, we, you know, um, some people on our crew kept kind of nudging the ask of like flying the drone off of a moving and she, you know, she finally trusted us enough. And at that moment, (laughs) I realized that I actually didn't want to fly a, a UAV off of a ship. I did because I knew I was going to be the first guy to do it, and if it went well, it was going to set a really cool precedent and open up a ton of opportunities. But if it went wrong, it was gonna it was gonna cause a lot of problems for the CEO and then also our client. So that was nerve wracking. And in that first flight, I did lose con- I did lose connection with the. UAV and I had all it was at the same time that I had just happened to lose visual line of sight which if there's any commercial UAV operators out there that have gone through the FAA training you know that's a no-no to lose visual line of sight in any like commercial flight so this the stakes around that first flight were pretty nerve-wracking but uh, luckily I, I got back in connection with it um, since then I have like a pretty I've put together a little checklist of like things to not to it's just it seems obvious to have a pre-flight checklist and you can have a pre-flight checklist on the ground, but that is not going to be the same pre-flight checklist when you're out in the middle of the ocean flying off a battleship. That's like just a crazy, I mean, our, our drones talk to talk to the controller through Wi-Fi 2.4 and 5.8 gigahertz Wi-Fi. And when you have a huge metal thing also broadcasting (laughs) things, yeah, it's, it's just, it's awful. Anyway, there's just a lot of, things i learned that i would just you have to learn by trial and error and so now i have you mentioned gps for those Mm -hmm. of you familiar with flying drones most modern drones that are you know that cost more than a hundred dollars or something maybe even less have um gps technology built in which it's sort of like the autocorrect of the drone world it it sees the gps signal and it any flying instructions you give it it sort of interpolates them with the gps signal to give it a very controlled very predictable easy to fly really uh handling characteristic for these drones how did that work on the on the ship i pretty quickly found out that i that i had to just turn all gps assists off like the moment you take off from the flight deck and you're moving i don't know 15 20 knots or whatever um yeah, if you take off with GPS enabled, the drone's immediately going to start ripping backwards because it's freaking out. Like it's saying, "You want me to just hang out in this GPS location?" Like, so it's going to, um, yeah. If if you're if you're in a forward moving ship and you take off with GPS on, it's the drone's going to start ripping back towards the back of the ship. It's going to appear like it just takes off towards the back. What it's really yeah. doing is standing still while yeah. the ship moves forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, if anyone if anyone's wanting to prepare to do something like this, fly off any moving vessel like yeah, practice practice your flying in attitude mode like which is no no GPS. It only uses the bar- the only sensor being used in the on the ship is the barometer, like its internal barometer which senses elevation. So, okay. even without GPS, it'll still 
relatively still pretty good at figuring out its elevation and holding that. Um, so, um, practice up on that. Cause that, that was, yeah, that's the first thing I learned. Um, so no GPS. Um, also if you can get a, um, get away for the drone to communicate, um, the drone will know its GPS location, but your remote might not have a GPS location. So I, I learned after the fact that I could actually buy an aftermarket like GPS puck to install on my controller. So then my home point, my return to home point can move dynamically with me. Oh, on the ship. interesting. Um, so on those, and that's with the inspire too. Yeah. That's, with the that's not with too. every DJI product, right? No. Yeah. And that's, it's just the inspire. Although I think, does the uh, Inspire 2, does it use a phone for the monitor or how does the monitoring work? Yeah, it'll use a, it'll use a, it, I've been using an iPad. Um, so yeah, theoretically, if you had phone service or if you were, you know, connecting, if you had. If the, if the phone has GPS, if it has GPS signal, the phone seems like it might be able to tell the controller yeah. where it is. For whatever reason. And maybe it's because my iPads were Wi-Fi only, or maybe because I didn't have cell service out there. I have to, I have to have that external. But yeah, it's something to look into for, for the um, for the other models. Like if the phone can provide, anytime you can have a dynamic home point that lives with the, the human, not the place that it took off from. That's that's always a plus. Um, so that stuff looked amazing. The uh, I mean the footage like uh. We were just looking at it yesterday, and I assumed initially that it was chopper footage, like the scale and the speed that it was moving and the, I don't know, just the choreography of it with this huge, it is a, is it what is a destroyer or a battleship or? Yeah, a guided missile destroyer. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's super impressive uh, looking out there on the open sea. And um, when I realized, because the, the, you guys played the whole shot out to where the drone comes back and actually goes to land, which then, of course, is a little interesting moment <laughs> yeah. there because you're trying to land it on a moving vessel. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just looks, I mean, it was incredibly cinematic, very, very impressive looking. What were other lessons that you learned being in, you know, I guess just again to contextualize this, it seemed like you were having to do some of the most highly productive, high stakes run and gun material maybe that you've done to this point in your career, but with like half or less the actual resources that you're used to having. Like, how did you ri- rise to that challenge? And what, what are, were there like workflow hacks that you figured out? Like, how? I think all of us just had to reference back to things we learned from like I feel like all of our all of our members of the crew including Leif the director uh, myself below the line like everyone I think we all to some extent were referencing that moment in our career when we were just starting out as a one-man band like Mm -hmm. when you're directing shooting and editing everything yourself you're you're doing the creative and the technical like you can you can direct an interview but you can also build the camera and you can also set up a mic and you can also light like you have and that goes that's something i've recently come to realize is like everyone just really needs to pay their dues as a one-man band and then do the best you can at that jack of all trades specialize when you can when it's the right time to specialize but there's going to be a time when you might the the stuff you learn as a one-man band will so like uh, an example of that is uh it was the second day of production. We were at the we were at we were on base in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, first up of the day, they wanted to shoot um, Navy SARS search and rescue um, swimmers training in a pool, um, and so I I rented a Gates underwater housing from Able City. I had them ship it out, which was like 120 pounds worth. <laughs> um, so I had them ship out the. Um, the housing and I and I started off the was day that with, for the mini. Yes, that was for okay. the Alexa mini. So I started the day off with the mini built in the housing. Yeah. Um, and so basically I rolled up to the pool and um, all I had to do is do a leak test and I was ready to get in and get some underwater shots. Um, I had all my user buttons set up. I was uh, ready to go. Um, 
but then they they had a small window of time right after that to interview one of the chiefs one of the SARS chiefs or you know one of the one of the leads there um so, so I had to I had to turn the mini from an underwater rig to an interview ready ENG rig in like 10 minutes and like, I had to do it myself you know so it's like um so yeah I just had to I had to reference back to you know just being able to efficiently build the like not only just get the camera built but you know get sound uh, uh, in that case I had to work with natural lighting in the in the pool and 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 make that work um so <laughs> that was a pretty quick turnaround see and that's day two that's day two so we're like it's all nerves and and as heroic as I feel like I was I still was fumbling around a little bit you know I was like I was hitting that wall where too fast becomes ineffective like too fast and mm. I'm almost breaking something okay yeah <laughs> like you're 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 full of energy because of the stakes and everything yeah and in the navy they they're one of their mottos is slow is smooth smooth is fast and I'm yeah. trying to remember but at one point I started chanting that to myself in a similar situation I don't know if it was that one yeah <laughs> it might have been I don't know but slow is smooth smooth is fast what was it like flying to an aircraft carrier yeah so yeah the day after that um day with the underwater thing that's that was the day we were flying out uh we got told we i don't even think we got a 24-hour heads up that we were going onto the aircraft carrier um so yeah we had no idea what to expect but i i packed up the camera gear as best i could we got dropped off the airfield there um for the for the flight out, we would be flying in a COD in a C2D, which is a uh, prop plane. It's a cargo plane that the Navy uses to transport personnel and gear on and off aircraft carriers. So, the term they use is "codding on and off." They're like, "Hey okay. man, oh, have you gotten a cod on and off yet?" Like, and it's actually it's actually a rare thing because um, most most in um, rare for civilians. It's rare. It's actually kind of rare for for Navy um, sailors too, because oh, a really? lot like most of them deploy from with the, land. With the ship, yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty rare. Yeah, we didn't know what to expect. We're at the airfield. They have us wear cranials um, and goggles um, and a um, horse collar, which is a inflatable life jacket. If we were to hit hit the water, um, but don't inflate that until you're out of the plane. Make oh, sure you, get... you might get stuck inside. Yeah. But uh, something I remember, like once we were once we were on the uh, like they get they they walk us single file and we get our seat. Um, they seat the plane from back to front like we all feel like every single commercial airline should do. Should do yeah. yeah. Um, the thing they the thing that's really difficult though is the plane is so loud. Like you know how we ignore every single safety instruction like on a commercial flight. Mm-hmm. Okay, well this time we were all hanging on to All every ears. word yeah. <laughs> and this guy this 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 sailor he flies through he's like and he's yelling at the top of his lungs but we can hear every other word and he's talking about like you know if if we crash like here's the one hatch get out of that first and then pull your horse you know like and we're just like you're hanging on to every word because this is this you have no idea like right. this and this could be like this makes no sense like we are about to fly in and land in the middle of the ocean like that's stupid that's not possible <laughs> so right. that was really ironic to um to just have a really amazing seating experience followed by a very terrible <laughs> safety <laughs> sa- briefing safety briefing um anyway the flight you're, you're strapped into a five-point harness just i mean it makes sense because of the landing and the takeoff um so after the hour and a half flight time um, I got lucky enough. There's only like two windows, like little tiny porthole windows in the whole plane. I got lucky enough to look out of the window and it's just, I just see shades of blue. And then all of a sudden I see a little dot out the window oh, wow. and I'm like, this is not happening. <laughs> and then we circle and I see it again. It's a little bigger. And I'm like, this is no, <laughs> you're like planes don't land on things <laughs> that small. Yeah, <laughs> basically. But, um, yeah, so long story short, uh, I finally, you, you feel the, you, you know, we all know what it feels like when a plane is starting to, like, and, and, and you can't see anything, you're actually, 
Was I facing backwards? Yeah, we were, I was facing backwards, so I knew the hit I was going to get pinned. I was going to get pinned into into the back of my chair. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm holding the straps on my five point harness, and I'm feeling the plane power down, and we're kind of he's goosing it in. I'm like ready for the hit, you know. And I think I think Navy guy came on and was like, you know, prepare for you're like. He said something. Put your seat seat backs in the full upright position and <laughs> yeah. raise your tray yeah. tables. Right. Yeah. We will be collecting <laughs> any unused, <laughs> unwanted yeah. items. Yeah, exactly. From the cabin. Um. So I know I'm like we are about to land any second, and then all of a sudden, two very violent things happened. The first violent thing is all the props spun up to full throttle, which is very weird. And then right after that was the impact. Just a very violent. It just felt like we smashed into the into the flight deck like hard, and then, and you're just you're just pinned into your seat. And I mean, it makes sense. Like they they floor the motors in case they miss that cable, they can still pull the plane off the deck. So I see. Um, it's just. It not only was it unsettling to have that that full throttle experience like when you know you're supposed to be landing um but then to have that much that much force hit the cable and hit the deck like it it just feels like it feels like a wreck but um that's so interesting (laughs) i never really realized that uh it was like going and stopping at the same time yeah it's like and and then you're thinking there's no way that that humans invented a way to catch that much force like that just that much energy um in contrast to that taking off being launched when we caught it off being launched by that catapult um was was very different um this time you're getting thrown forward so you you're they tell you to pin your pin your legs against your seat because your legs will fly forward and your shins will smack the seat in front of you okay so you gotta and then you you cross your arms and grip the um grip the straps on your five-point harness um and this this catapult i mean it it totally beats out a tesla they were saying something like zero to 110 in like less than three seconds like ridiculous um and in contrast to the landing the getting catapulted off um is very smooth and fluid it feels like just it feels like a I recently did get to finally ride in a Tesla that had the three second or 3.2 second like acceleration, yeah. which is just very smooth and fluid. Yeah. And th- that catapult is like that. It's very smooth and it's so fast. It's, it's crazy because you, it, it catapults, it catapulted us off so fast. I felt when we, when we were in the air and we were gliding and I felt the plane slow down as the motors caught up to the speed we were at. Okay. And it, and you feel that transition from like, the breakneck speed but the smooth speed like it did you know just really really smooth and then it the plane slows down and then its own power kind of catches up with it you know right it's not like the plane continues off it's like it's like struggling to like catch up because it stops accelerate it accelerates but then it stops accelerating momentarily i guess until the props are spun up yeah yeah so very interesting contrast um just a once in a lifetime wild experience mm. um and just <laughs> makes you feel makes you feel proud to be an american and 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 proud of these guys that <laughs> know how to do this and do it every day and yeah um sounds like where something is kind of routine but it's almost like a magic trick or a uh, like something that seems defies uh physics or something but they they do that as a, a regular part of their <laughs> day yeah yeah and um not to get like political too political or anything i think it's just a like a general respect thing but you know talking to these sailors on the bush specifically and you know last year we had a lot of drama with russia and syria and, and things like that and they you know these guys particular like they they there wasn't really anything inherently aggressive about their missions or anything and um i might be delving off too much but it's just interesting like to think of our presence, like our capabilities, our our potential capabilities to just keep peace. Like, you know, these guys, really what they did is they were just hanging out in the Mediterranean Sea training. And it's just like, hey, guys, like, just don't do anything dumb. Like, we're right here. 
and like we're we're training like we're hanging out like we're just hanging out and oh wait there's a natural disaster we're gonna go down in port and crank out four thousand gallons of potable water a day for a oh wow they did that for uh i think it was haiti oh wow something that they didn't do that sequentially i'm just saying like just anecdotally that like you know very much of their missions like recently have been humanitarian and just providing peacekeeping presence like not not an aggress like literally just being there you know yeah. just letting the rest of the world know that like just don't don't do anything <laughs> like so that's that's kind of my interpretation and maybe that shouldn't even be <laughs> in there but it's that's just interesting. interesting so they can they make potable water it's not just that they have it stored they can actually yeah purify water yeah yeah it's enough I- so the seawater they're yeah. taking seawater and making it drinkable wow is it are they nuclear propelled? Yeah, this aircraft carries pro- uh, propelled by two two nuclear reactors. Um, it doesn't. It can sail around the world continuously for twenty five years without wow. refueling. Hmm. You had this amazing experience. It sounds like also a difficult experience. Uh, sometimes those things go together. Um, a lot of times. <laughs> a lot of times. The things that you remember, the things that you look back and you're like, wow, I can't believe we did that. That was incredible. Like sometimes they're very difficult things very and can have challenging times. But um, you're doing more of that? Yeah. So um, we're like nowhere close to capturing the, the essence of the United States Navy. So there is definitely work. Um um, in the books for 2019, um, among which, uh, I think is, uh, Navy SEALs, EOD, which is explosives ordnance. Um, and I think in like boot camp, I think we're going to be kind of all over the place filling in the gaps. Um, so I'm not sure what's next. Um, I'm anticipating some more underwater work. So I've been working on, um, um, my scuba abilities, like advanced scuba, um, uh, breathing different blends of, of oxygen blends, uh, so I can stay under longer. Like, I'm not really sure with, with this, with the Navy, you really don't know what you're getting into till you're there. So it's just about, it's about having all the things. Be and prepared for anything. Be prepared. For, yeah. Um, yeah. It, which kind of makes sense. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm anticipating underwater. I may be in, in, anticipating some high speed. Um, I really haven't delved a lot into high speed cinematography yet like you know a thousand frames a second or more but you know if we're doing explosion explosives like that could be on the cards do you have a a go-to camera in mind for the high speed um ideally i'd like to jump on a phantom flex or gold um i know i know that in the past you had to have a certified op um or a a certified tech and i'm not sure if that's the case i think i think to keep up with the market there's I I think I think you can if you do your research you can just use use one of the higher end phantoms um so I think I think that would be the ideal um and um but yeah that's something I got to got to yeah. research Well I know you know we worked together I think on a project a few years ago where we used the Phantom Miro I think yeah, the Miro 320, the, like the LC320S, and what we found is like it's dynamic it's too range. Too noisy. Yeah, yeah, it was noisy and narrow had dynamic range and yeah. noisy image. I mean, it, it undeniably did do the super slow motion. So, yeah. you know, uh, we shot red on that project and the Phantom, and I remember I got I color graded that project, <laughs> and I remember wishing i had just shot red <laughs> yeah. uh, up to 300 frames and then just in betweening for the stuff you know yeah. the twixter or whatever it is for the right. stuff that i wanted slower um not to bash on that camera or whatever but it was just so hard to make the the red and that uh phantom moreau look close enough to the same image <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. That that experience specifically is why, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'll just I'll just leave. Yeah, yeah. I'll try and notch up, but it was a good learning experience. So I think the reason why we ended up with that is that's the 
that at the time that was the only high speed camera I could find that didn't also require an operator like a tech. Yeah. And so we were just kind of like, oh, let's give it a shot. Yeah, and that that camera has has a a space I guess to be useful in, but uh, for like science or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not cinematography. Right. Right. If you were to give any advice on what skills a person would need to be successful on the kinds of projects that you, you know, in the capacities that you've been in, like what would, if if somebody listens to this and says, oh, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, what, what do you need? Like, what do you need to know how to do? What do you need to be good at? What personality traits do you need? I think I can narrow down to like two bits of advice. The first piece of advice I could give, uh, whatever you got to do to keep up your momentum, you just keep getting, keep getting bad shots in the bag. Like just <laughs> like keep shooting, even if it's bad because you're, you're closer to having good shots. Like it's like, you got to get, you got to get the bad stuff out of your system. And I'm not saying like there, it, or it doesn't have to be bad, but that's just the mentality that I have to put myself in to keep moving forward. Because if it doesn't, my tendency is to shut down if it's not the if I'm not looking at the image that I want to be looking at, you know, if I'm not where I want to be. Um, so practice. Yeah, that's kind of what you're saying. Keep practicing. <laughs> yeah, such and, a, so much more simple. <laughs> no, but, no, but I think that the the angle on it that you give is really good, which speaks to people's state of mind and their level of motivation based on what they're looking at, and I think it's easy whether you're learning to play an instrument or ride a bicycle or ski or whatever it is you you think about what you want to be doing and then you start to try doing it you know ira glass talks about this you know the gap between where your taste tells you you want to be and where your eyes tell you you actually are that's a super depressing gap at times right Mm -hmm. and it sounds like what you're saying is like don't let that get you down. You yeah. know, just keep doing it. You will get better. Yeah, and it's it sounds cute for me to have that advice considering that I probably would have quit if it weren't for my business partners. Like, mm. I'm not even kidding. Like, I I don't looking back, I don't know if I had it in me. And so maybe maybe for someone it's about finding finding collaborators uh to work with on a consistent basis um to to make more content um why would you have quit i don't know i think because you didn't think you were doing good work or because you didn't wouldn't have had the opportunities or you just needs needed somebody to take like a workout partner keeps you accountable uh yeah i think i think i just wouldn't have been i i just like you know at the end of every project i've ever done there's a part of me that's like this is this isn't good like even i yeah it sounds stupid but like and that that there's just always that half to me there's always going to be that that half of me that's like this isn't good enough like like look at all the mistakes that you made like so i think um i think yeah just you know, maybe I would have found it somewhere within myself to find the momentum to move forward. But like, I was just blessed to have people that are like, that I'm getting to collaborate with that, like, we just, you move forward because that's what you do. You like, you stay positive, you learn the lessons, but you don't beat yourself up over it. And so, you know, maybe I would have been fine on my own because that would have been, it's like, okay, well, are you going to quit, quit? Like, are you going to actually not do film? You know, I don't know. (laughs) Like, (laughs) We just moved on because that's the thing we need to do. But there just been, you know, I've spent I've spent days and weeks just brooding in my head, you know, just unnecessarily. Like at that point, it's just you, <laughs> you feel like you weren't happy with the work you were doing. Yeah. Like the you you felt like you let yourself and your collaborators down at some level. I see. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, having just looked at your footage, Chris, I have two things to say about that one is that uh, you do good work. Just let that sink in. (laughs) Uh, You do good work. Uh, The second thing I have to say is that part of the reason that you do good work is you you can see how it could be better. When you stop seeing how it could be better, either one of two things is true. You really have broken through to a superlative threshold of quality 
which is possible. Um, or you've lost touch, right? Yeah. You've you've lost touch with what will make your work good, right? So, and I would say this to you and anybody listening: if you don't see a way that your work could be better, that's probably more concerning. Uh, because other people might. And it's a much healthier situation, although it can be unhealthy if you brood about it and obsess about it forever. But you you want to be in the situation where you see how your work could be better, but other people don't seem to notice too much. And I think that's the situation you're in, Chris. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, whatever, whatever you have to tell yourself to keep moving forward, like, even if you just have to, like, make a decision that even even shooting bad shots is good because you're getting that out of your, you know, like whatever you got to tell yourself to just keep moving sure. forward. Um, and specifically by moving forward, I mean, if you just, if it's just you and a DSLR, there's no excuse for you to not be able to hit up some local brands on Instagram and, and make some social edits for them or find a nonprofit, do a docu promo, like, um, keep that momentum specifically in the, in the, spot whatever you want to call it docu promo short doc yep. branded documentary space specifically um because that 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 is popular right now the real people doing real things telling real stories um brands are paying you know from the hundreds of dollars to the millions of dollars for that kind of content yeah um and it's also you know one person can pull that off like you can you can learn to build a camera fast but also turn your tech brain off and turn on your people skills and, and conduct an engaging interview with someone. Um, so work on those skills. Um, and, uh, you know, keep, keep moving forward. Uh, the second thing that I've learned recently is, is about leadership specifically. And, um, we'll, we'll have kind of like film legends tell us to like, there's kind of like this culture about staying in your lane when you really get into bigger sets. Sure. Um, and, and it's there, that's, there's good reasons for that, um, that men- mentality, you know, right. if, if it's a union shoot that you just have to, because that's, those are the rules, but also, you know, it's respect, it's efficiency, right. it's communication. But, um, on a, on a, uh, on a lot of these doc style projects or, or you know, you uh, even, narrative or commercial just depending on the size of your shoot if it's if it's independent if it's an independent if it's an independent film or a non-union smaller crew shoot there's there's always room for leadership and to um take personal responsibility to make the project better um i kind of have an example of that um okay um there there there've actually been a few times when we're we're on the ship on, on a ship a navy ship and Everyone's feeling a little bit weird, a little bit seasick, right. undersleep, underslept, under beat ate. up, a little yeah. bit run over. Yeah. yeah, and 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 even our client, you know, we're just kind of sitting there, like in in the main space we have, you know, where I have the media transfer station set up, and we're just kind of there, you know, and um, I don't know, but but like Leif will look at me and be like, "Hey, let's go see what we can find." you know, let's go see what's going on. Like yeah. grab the camera and I'm going, man, are you, ugh, I'm so tired. But then we do that and we get gold. Like okay. the times when yeah. we can sneak around and just figure out what the Navy's doing, like normally, you know, embrace time of day. Like, like that, kind. that's, that's clutch yeah. leadership. Like that is clutch leadership. Cause I have, I have enough in my tank to, sh- to shoot a little bit more, you yeah. know, like, you always have a little bit left in the tank to lead. And if there's space for that, like take it, like take initiative. Like I, if, if we were to come back to dry land and then, you know, well, there's not, there's not that many shots in the bag actually. Like we can't go. Well, we can't go to the client. Well, you guys didn't tell us to shoot. Like you guys were happy. I mean, you guys were fine. We're all chilling there. Like that's not an excuse you can ever use. And I can't, if, if the shots don't look a certain way, I can't go to the director and be like, well, you didn't direct me. You know, you can't pass it. Like you can take responsibility for the thing. And, and even if that means, if you see a space, if you see a gap to fill, even if it's not in your official title, like try, 
try leading, like try being, taking a little bit more leadership, a little bit more. Especially on a small crew. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Especially on a small crew. Take, take that initiative to, to lead and, and take charge and do your best to make the project better, you know, whether in or out of your job role, like, you know. Keep keep that momentum going until someone tells you to stop. Chances are they won't tell you to stop. <laughs> don't shoot yeah. more. Don't make the project better. You yeah. know. Um, a minute ago, you said embrace time of day, which you know, as a camera person, there's a part of me that it's like, oh, it's not a good time of day. I'm <laughs> I'm not I'm not even gonna really try. I mean, no, no, if I'm on a commercial project, but like if I'm with the family, my wife is like, take some pictures, and I'm like. <sighs> It's not going to look good. I know it's pretty standing here in person, but nobody's ever going to want to look at the picture I take of this. And um but I think there is a lot to be said if you if you uh if you actually apply yourself, there's always something you can find. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like if you really turn your brain on, you can do something cool. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. So, yeah. I think I think that's all I got. So your two, what were you, to summarize your two points, practice and (laughs) lead and lead. Yeah. Yeah. Be, um, whatever mindset you got to be in to keep forward momentum, practicing, do, do the thing, tell yourself whatever you need to tell yourself to keep moving forward. And then um, unless if you're on a big union shoot, (laughs) look for opportunities to lead, be a leader among your crew, among your client, um, and take personal responsibility to make the project better, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy. It's easy, especially if you lose sort of confidence in what's going on to just be like, well, it, it actually becomes risky to invest. Cause if you feel like it's a sinking ship, you don't want that sinking ship to have your name written on it, you know? But the problem is, uh, even a sinking ship has survivors and they'll remember <laughs> They'll remember when you ditched them. That's right. Yeah. And the thing is, I I think, you know, it's maybe not one for one, but I think most projects of any scale feel like they're pretty stupid at some point. Like at some point you're like, really, this is what we're doing? (laughs) How did we get to this spot where this was what we were doing? And, uh, you know, most of the time they actually turn out. But for a minute there, they always, most of them seem that way. So. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking time. We look forward to seeing uh, uh, your current and future work and work from the past as well, too. Lots of good stuff out there. So anyway, yeah, just thanks. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Good times. All right. I hope those of you who are not uh, focused in camera didn't get too lost in some of the rabbit holes that we decided to go down into uh, with technical stuff. But I think everybody can certainly relate to the idea of getting practice and uh, taking personal responsibility and assuming leadership in projects that you're working on. I think that's all super solid advice. And uh, really glad I got a chance to talk with Chris. Hope you enjoyed it, too. Uh, We'll see you next time.